from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Today's episode is brought to you by Advantage Multi from Bayer. Advantage Multi is veterinarian's number one choice in the prevention of heartworms, fleas, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Treats and controls sarcoptic mange. Make sure your dog is protected by using Advantage Multi. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, Jay Paul Jackson. You just love to hear yourself talk, don't you? Even when you're not saying anything. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Houston Kennedy. Please, Houston, we have a problem. And Josh Webb. Coons. We're raccoons trying to get on our back porch. Mama just chased them off with a broom. Welcome to the On Next Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I'm Jay Paul Jackson, joined today by my co-host, Rocky LaFleur, special guest co-host, Jeff Estes, Greenhead22 from DuckSouth.com. And we're also very, very honored to have with us today, Mr. Ben Beckwith. Now, Ben is a Mississippi boy, household name to all of us who follow SEC football, was a superstar, of course, Mississippi State with the San Diego Chargers today, and we're really, really excited to have Ben along with us. First, Rocky, all right, so you've come on flat the last couple of podcasts, but then in the very last one, you pretty much blew me away. What do you got to start us out with today? Woo! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, just joking, everybody. That, 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 would, that would be an a imitation of Jeff right now, having the, one of the best offensive linemen at Mississippi State on the podcast with us. Oh, yeah. I, I, guarantee, uh, I guarantee you, Jeff's drooling right now wherever he's – you're driving down the road somewhere, I know, Jeff, because you never sit still. I, well, I'm sitting – I'm going on about four hours sleep the past two days chasing specs, and I'm sitting in my truck in the parking lot at the lodge right now trying to trying to stay awake. <laughs> well, on, are you I'm having any special belly bus. success? Are you oh, having yeah. any success? Uh, yeah, we've shot um, – we've shooting limits the past two days. Uh, uh, we had a bunch of bird, ducks in the area yesterday, but there was like five groups shooting specs around us. They bugged out. Uh I had I had one teal come in the decoy this morning at first light and that was it. Um I figure they're gonna everybody's gonna shoot specs again tomorrow. We won't. We're gonna lay off all of our blinds um and let them rest. Um I figure after tomorrow the specs are gonna bug out. I mean we were probably had between two hundred and three hundred thousand sitting on one farm. Um Wow. But I mean everybody between all the groups shooting, there have been roughly twenty three seven Roughly 50 limits of spec shot between yesterday and today. That's mm. amazing. And, you know, that, yeah. that brings me to something. Before we close out and hit final thoughts later in the podcast, I want to come back. We promised in the last one we were going to talk a little bit about pressure. And I, you just brought up something. You know, there were ducks in the area, and now people have started shooting specs. I definitely want to revisit that subject because that definitely is – pressure even though it's not directly on the ducks but it has an effect on them but first uh 
I know Ben doesn't have a great deal of time this morning. I want us to lead off by talking a little bit about Ben Beckwith, not the duck hunter, but first, Ben Beckwith, the football star. Hey, Ben, let me ask, let me ask you a question real quick, because I, I was reading right. about this the other – I guess it was about a month or two ago. You know, I was – and I've asked a few people since then to see if they knew this, but – the number one place that concussions happen on a football field or somebody gets hurt is where? I'd say in the trenches, O-line, D-line. Yeah. I never, I never knew that. It's the interior of the offensive line. You're, you're home. Uh, yeah. Cause you, I mean, you, you hit, you every play you're hitting, you're hitting heads every play. I mean, it's inevitable. I mean, every play you're hitting somebody. So, yeah, I thought that. I mean, I thought that was. I thought that was pretty crazy because when you always think about concussions or whatever may happen in football, you think about a quarterback getting hit or a wide receiver or cornerback. You know, those. I guess just blow you away. Hit. Yeah. And, I see. Uh, yeah, you don't you don't think about those guys that are banging heads every single play. Oh, yeah. Well, you got you got three hundred, you know, three hundred plus pound line, you know, guys hitting each other every play on the on the dome. I guess the best way to describe it, and eventually it's going to take its toll on you at some point in time. Well, look, being I, I, you know, we before the podcast we were talking about the recruiting process for you because I, I love following recruiting. Um, may not be following it for the next few years. Being an Ole Miss fan, looks like. We were talking about the laughing about this. Looks like Ole Miss may be in a little bit of trouble. I think they found the dead bodies. Mm. So, but Rocky, out of out of respect, Rocky, for you, I will uh, decline comment on the uh, above uh, <coughs> segment. I was going to say the same thing. I just uh, yeah, I'm just, just say, I'm just going to let it ride. R.I.P. R.I.P. That that is highly unusual for you, Jeff. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take the high road. I'm gonna take the high road. I'm gonna stay out of the mud hole, which is which is pretty much hard to find in northeast Arkansas right now. I mean, it's so dry. I mean, we've been pumping fields for ten days, and uh, I've lost water on fields twice. Like it completely soaked in the ground. and had to turn the well back on. So, yep, I'm wow. staying on the high road, and I'll just let it ride. I'll let it go. <laughs> hey, hey, Ben, real quick for the people that are that are listening to this tell us tell us a little bit about your when you walk go back to high school walk us through it walk us through that process of from yazoo city benton area to to go into mississippi state walk us through that history all right well uh i kind of had an interesting uh i don't know if, if a lot of people know me they'll, they'll probably know my story but if not i went to a 1a private school we had uh, 18 kids in my senior class. Uh, to say I wasn't highly recruited would be an understatement. I think I just kind of uh, I went to some camps and I was a big kid that could run around pretty fast. And they said, you know, kind of intrigued. I said, who's that kid? Then they found out I played private school ball, and they're like, well, maybe we can just get him here without you know giving him any scholarship or anything. So that led, you know, I had a I was a Big athlete in uh, high school baseball, uh, football, track, everything like that. Excelled and everything, and uh, 
So I went on. It was it was tough for me at first because I was always the the kid in private school. I was the biggest, the fastest, you know, whatever, so on, so on. But uh, so when I got to college, I walked on at state. Uh, got a preferred walk on, which is kind of like an invite. Hey, you don't have to try out. They want you on the team, but you're still a walk on. So I get there and it's kind of mind blowing, you know, all these big guys, uh, even smaller guys that are, you know, in the, in the weight room with you that are stronger than you already because you're young and. And it's mind blowing because you came from a private school where you had, uh, you know, 20 kids on my football team to to going to 105. So I mean, it was just you're kind of a drop in the bucket there. And so I went on with that, uh, redshirted like most freshmen do in the SEC. Uh, did that whole process, did the learning, the learning curve, learning the playbook, learning, you know, what to do, how to do it, when to do it. Uh, reading defenses, things like that, and uh, of course it didn't all click just that one year, but it got me, got me acclimated to it. So my redshirt freshman year rolls around, and uh, I started on all special teams. Uh, kind of getting coaches are trusting me. They say I'm, you know, I'm a really hard worker. That was my big deal. I worked harder than anybody, anybody around me. I was going to try to outwork them, and if I mean physically, if I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, but I was going to give do as best I could. But uh, I started getting respect from coaches and players, and, I, and you know, I was kind of becoming a little bit of a leader on special teams, and then that whole season rolls through, and I, I get some mop-up duty on offense to get some plays in. And so that leads to my redshirt sophomore year, which was, uh, you know, it was kind of another deal where I was getting better. I was getting bigger. I was getting stronger. I was gaining the weight I was supposed to. Uh, I was, the coaches, you know, more and more kept trusting me, trusting me, seeing that I was a leader type guy that I was gonna, you know, put my nose down and work, not gonna say much until I needed to. So kind of the same thing my sophomore year. I didn't, you know, I started on special teams. I was special teams. I was leading the punt team. I was calling plays on punt team and stuff like that. Uh, got mop up duty. Got some, you know, I was a backup, so I got a a little bit more playing time that year. Uh, whenever someone needed a break or something, they trusted me enough to you know, put me in and play in, you know, crunch time. So that all, you know, that was just kind of a normal, another year just like that. And then my junior year, I go in, I'm an established backup, uh, you know, before the season starts. I'm kind of pushing to be in the starting rotation. I'm getting kind of rotating with this other guy. And uh, I'm kind of, I'm off special teams now because they want me to just be, in, you know, an offensive lineman. You know, they want me to focus on that solely because I'm going to be a crucial part of the team that year in the other line. And so we go into the season, and this is kind of when – this kind of shows you that uh, you don't ever know what you can do to you get your opportunity. Uh, we go into the season. I'm a backup, a rotation guy. I'm kind of the sixth lineman, I guess, or the five starters. I'm the next one up. So the first game of the year, we play in Oklahoma State and uh, Houston at the uh, Houston Texans Stadium. And first quarter, the right guard breaks his ankle. And uh, without that play, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am right now. So I go in, and from then on, I start every game until I graduate. And uh, and uh, so that happened. Uh, I won't skip to my senior year. Well, that happened. We had a, you know my junior year. It was kind of weird. Tyler was our quarterback, and Dak was kind of not, he was kind of unknown. He was a young guy, and then Dak. Gets, I mean, Tyler gets hurt, and then that's when the Dak era starts, and that's when we kind of start rolling. We won our last four games of the season to make the bowl game, or whatever it was, three or four games uh, to make the bowl game. Beat beat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl with the uh, the Bo Wallace 
uh, fumble, the great fumble of uh, 2013. Uh, and, uh, watch it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that happens, and then, you know, uh, I had a great year. Uh, coaches, you know, loving me, whatever, so on, so on. Well, I, I got a scholarship. That, uh, I was a walk-on, got my scholarship going into my junior year. I forgot to say that. But anyway, I'm, I'm doing good, good off-season. We've got a lot of hype going into the season. That's you know, shining, our whole team shining. We've got a great O-line, got a lot of seniors. So we're going to my senior year, not ranked or anything, but we knew we had something special in our locker room. We just knew it, you know, just from being in there. You had to be, you just had to be there to know it. But so we get rolling. Uh, the whole sequence starts. We beat LSU at, in Baton Rouge. I got offensive lineman of the week, SEC offensive lineman of the week. Uh, my my colleague, uh Dylan Day, our center, long blonde hair tattoo guy. My roommate uh, decides to step on a few players. Uh, I mean, we, that happened. We do a little bit of dirty stuff in the, on the O line, but you're not supposed to do it in the open field, is what our coaches always tell us. Uh, and uh, he gets <laughs> that was by accident anyway. He got caught up that in LSU and, uh, game. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, but then y'all, y'all stomped LSU that game, didn't you? I mean. Besides the yeah. really stomping by Dylan Day, I mean, y'all killed LSU. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we went out and, uh, I mean, we we just absolutely uh, murdered them, as the best way to put it. Uh, excuse my language, I guess. But uh, we actually take the ones out going into the fourth quarter. And uh, a snap over the quarterback said by the backup center and a few Hail Marys later, it got close. Uh, but in all aspects of the game, yeah, well, I mean, we absolutely manhandled them. And, uh, yeah, Dylan had a few uh, – he tried to collapse a few chest in with his feet uh, running down the field with some, some guys. But, uh, anyway, that, le- <laughs> that led to me uh, – that led to me – so we beat them. We're going to Texas. We'll get this – we have this huge run. We got the LSU, their number five, whatever. A&M's number three. And then we uh, – we, so we're going to A&M, and I got to play center because Dylan has to sit out. So I've never snapped the ball in my life. So that was an interesting week of practice. I was snapping balls everywhere. I mean, I looked like I was kicking field goals between my legs. I mean, it was just everywhere. But I finally Cause, cause get it down were, cause, There was no yeah. under center because Dak was a – he was a shotgun quarterback, right? Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, it was it was straight shotgun. That's that's what the scary part was. It was uh, it was uh, having to snap it about five yards behind you when you've never done it with a 320-pound lineman over your head. It's a little, little different. But uh, – Anyways, uh, so we go into Texas A&M week. Uh, we win that game, and uh, we beat them pretty handily. I played center. I got SEC line of the week for the second time that game. So that kind of starts us rolling. We're starting to get ranked. We're in the top 20 or something, 2015, whatever it is. And then we go to – we'll get Auburn at home. We get – that's college game day. And uh, it's a huge yeah. game. It's hey, kind of, what? Uh, I think we were. Hey, let me ask you, man. Let me ask you this: that that, that, that Auburn game, one. Right. If I remember that watching that game correctly, didn't it flood during that game? I'm talking like flood the stands. Oh, yeah. It was water going everywhere. Yeah, that's funny. I, we have a little group chat from old players back in the day, and uh, Cameron Lawrence and Addison Lawrence, some guys played with. Anyways, we were talking about that game. I told them, they said, man, we got drenched. They were in the stands watching it because we were like number eight or ten, and they were number three. And uh, it was kind of a huge game, and it, I mean, it was packed out. And right before the halftime, it came just a monsoon. It was it was the craziest thing I've ever been a part of. 
because on offense at home, I had to start yelling. I said, we're going to do a silent count, silent count, because we couldn't hear our quarterback calling the cadence in our home stadium. So we had to get a silent count, which is kind of, you know, the quarterback picks his leg up or claps his hand, and the line kind of does their little sequence. But it was, yeah, it was a crazy deal. I've never seen anything like it. I'll never forget it. It was, uh, I mean, it, it had to have rained two or three inches in a matter of ten minutes. It was, it was nuts. I, look, they sh- I remember them showing it on TV. It was water, like, coming out of the stairwells onto the field. And it was just oh, – yeah. it looked like something coming out of a reservoir pipe. I mean, it was yeah, just unbelievable was, at the amount of water. Yeah, it was crazy. I never, so, Like I said, I've never seen anything like it. It was nuts. So, y'all beat Auburn that game, and then y'all move up to what, number four? Uh, I think y'all Auburn, number four after we become, the- we become the number one team in the country after we beat Auburn. That was the big jump from unranked to number one, the quickest ever, fastest ever, whatever it was. Yeah, it was five weeks, I think. Yeah, I think we were five, five weeks, weeks number one, and we went to Bama and lost uh, up there by five or six points, whatever it was. Uh, kind of started out slow. Not, we got in a 19-hole deficit, but came back, and that kind of ended the run there at uh, Alabama. But, it was a great year. I mean, we went through. We won a lot of games. I think we went ten and two. Uh, Should have won the Orange Bowl, but our, we we had like seven hundred yards of offense. Defense gave up like nine hundred. So the math didn't work out there on that one. So, but we had a great year. Uh, a lot of memories. Uh, kind of. If you talk to the Mississippi State fans, uh, they kind of get mad at you. Like, why did you have to do that to us in fourteen? We 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 got too much. Uh, we we think too much. We want too much now. You know, it's kind of like. When you're a kid, if you got your first truck, it was a brand new, you know, 2500 Duramax, and then you get older and you, you have to get a toy, a single cab Toyota. Right now, well, I got too. Y'all gave us too much to look forward to. And, you know, now I'm having to drive a single cab. Kind of like that's how I described it. 14 kind of gave gave the fans. Uh, I mean, it was great, but like they'll say, that man, y'all gave us too much hope. We uh, we get more frustrated now as we know that we could be number one. You know, so it's funny to talk to those guys about that. Ben, I, I look. I'm gonna make a quick comment here because I know Jeff has a ton of questions to ask you. But I remember this. I remember when you were coming out of high school, uh, being an Ole Miss fan. Ole Miss was hurting for offensive linemen the year that you came out, and there were people screaming at the top of their lungs for somebody from Ole Miss to go down and recruit you. And, you know, Houston Nutt just had that attitude about private school kids. He just wanted no part of them. Right. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a weird uh, – I'll tell you this. Uh, yeah, Ole Miss uh, – Ole Miss was not they, – they, when, when he was there, they weren't a big private school guy. But I can tell you this, some of the best players I ever played with, uh, the guy that broke his ankle was a private school guy that I, was, that I went in for uh, – our center right now at State's a private school kid. Cameron Lawrence was a private school kid. He played linebacker at State for a while. Long, he's a white white guy with long uh, flowing hair, played linebacker. His brother, private school guy, played right tackle for us for four years. I mean, Ole Miss has a, a their best lineman right now is from a private school, the Rawlings kid. Uh, I mean, there's so many private school kids that that don't get the recognition because they don't play that great of talent, true. But uh, at the end of the day, an athlete's an athlete. You put him in a situation, he's going uh, to thrive in it no matter what. So I look at recruit. I mean, I look at recruiting a lot different. I, I like to look at what a kid 
you know, his athletic ability because you can build off that, not just his structure and who he plays against. So. But the uh, private school kids are definitely underrated. I mean, uh, there's there's a, there's not there's definitely not a lot out there that can play D1 SEC ball, but the ones that can need to get the opportunity. And you're seeing it a lot more now. They're getting the opportunities, and it's, it's, it's working. I mean, the Rawlings kid at Ole Miss is the most recent, recent one. He was kind of in between State and Ole Miss, and he started last year as a freshman. So, I mean, that's uh, pretty impressive for, you know, a private school kid that supposedly can't play big-time ball is what most, you know, recruiters will say. But that's here and over there. Um, my question reverts back to the, the 14 season. Honestly, my most memorable victory that year had to be the LSU game because I work in South Louisiana. I have to deal with LSU fans on a daily basis about them just destroying us year after year. Was it as quiet in that stadium in person as it was, like it seemed from that TV, uh, when we got up for three touchdowns? Oh, uh, it was uh, – I'll tell you this. Uh, you, you hear all these things about Death Valley, uh, how loud it is, how intimidating it is. That's as true. I mean, probably an understatement. It's a, it's a great – it's one of the greatest atmospheres you'll ever see. And uh, to go in there and uh, – we had a long run by Dak, and I was trying my best. I mean, I was running as fast as I could to keep up with him to meet him in the end zone. I love celebrating touchdowns. And uh, we got in the end zone after that 60, 70-yard run, and you could hear a pin drop, and you could, we ran it right into their student section. The greatest feeling you'll ever have. And you run it in there, and they're just looking at you like, are y'all really about to beat us here at night in Death Valley? You know, it, was, it just – it was a, I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about it, but it's a surreal feeling. I mean, that place, I mean, you couldn't – uh, when we were on, you know, when we scored or when we did something big, you, I mean, there wasn't a chirp or a sound or anything. I mean, it was crazy. It was unreal. It was uh, definitely my most memorable win as a Bulldog. That and that 2013 Egg Bowl when we were, you know, supposed to lose by about four touchdowns because we had a true freshman starting. Those were the two right there that uh, will always stick with me until even when my memory is really bad, which it already is. But uh, I'll remember those for the rest of my life for sure. Hey, Ben, let me ask you this, you know, and I know you probably get asked this question a lot. You leave Mississippi State. All right, hold on. I want you to go through the the, the process, the steps, from Benton okay. Academy to Mississippi State and from Mississippi State to the San Diego Chargers. Tell me about those steps, if you were to, you were imagining them, you know, how big of a step up it was. Well, the step from uh, private school to SEC was uh, kind of like uh, you're looking at a 20-foot ladder stand and, only, and you can't get up there. The only way you can get up there is to jump. I mean, there's no steps almost is what it felt like. Uh, I'd put it that way. And then the SEC to the NFL was, a, I would say, it's kind of like going up and uh, trying to describe it. Trying to step out of a pit blind with the, some waders on that are too tight. Uh, trying to get up on that little step right there, but uh, it wasn't quite a big step. It. it was, it was still uh, a little tough. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, that has uh, that gained a little bit too much weight in off season, has some too, some tight waders on, trying to step out of a pit blind. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little challenging, but it, uh, the SEC prepared you for it. I mean, most of the guys I was facing there were from the SEC or similar, so. 
So, I mean, the hardest part wasn't the – I mean, the physicality is a little bit more because you got some linebackers that are a little faster, a little bigger, but the D linemen are pretty similar. Uh, the playbook and learning all that and then uh, not being intimidated by, you know, snapping the Phillip Rivers or seeing all these big-time guys uh, all around you that you, you see on TV but you never thought you'd play with. Uh, kind of you got to get past that whole stage, and then it's just – you're playing ball at the end of the day. You're snapping the same ball you snapped when you were in Pee Wee. You know it's a little bit bigger, a little bit different ball, but you're still playing the game. You're still effort and uh, determination are going to get you farther than anything. So that's how I would describe it. Uh, so I mean, it, it was crazy. It really is a crazy story, you know, going from 1A private school to the NFL and all those, all that stuff, being leaving state as an All-American and all that stuff. You know, if someone would have told me that years ago. I would have said. You might want to go put bet that on uh, put about a about a million on that at the casino because that won't ever happen. But uh, it what would have been the odds? Would it been like a hundred to one? Yeah, I would have been hundred to one for sure. But uh, it was it was a crazy. It's been a crazy ride, no doubt. And uh, I don't think anybody could have wrote my story just off you know off the top of their head. So I've been blessed for sure, and trying to spread that wealth. To, uh, as many kids as I can that ask me that question, like how do, how can I do it? And I just tell them, you know, it's just go go do what do, do go do the best you can do every day. It's kind of kind of cliche, but go do the best you can do every day, and you know, put your nose down, work hard, which is what uh, I think if our country did that right now, which is a whole other deal, it'd be a lot better. But it all relates to working hard, putting your nose down, knowing your role, and just working hard. So, well, man, I, I know. You get this question a lot lately. Dak Prescott is one of the hottest names in the news. I mean, you just can't say it's just sports. Um, right. What What was it like playing with Dak? Tell us about Dak. Is you know on on the field and off the field. What was it like playing with him and well, being a friend? Well, that's what I was going to say. Uh, me and Dak were really close. I was texting last night about uh, his his address in Dallas. Get him a, I'm getting married in April, and I was trying to get him an invitation out. But, uh, I mean, we were really close. Uh, I mean, we I was with him. Whenever we weren't doing anything, he was at my house, or I was at his house playing Xbox, just hanging out, enjoying time together. Uh, I mean, he was like that. I mean, me and Fred Ross and him and Damian Williams and Devin Desper and Dylan Day and a couple other guys. I mean, we, I mean, we were all just really close because that, that senior class, that 14 team, everybody was, close you could be and that's what makes a good team there wasn't wasn't many fights in practice during the year i mean everybody was just so tight they needed a job they needed to go out there and grind and do what they needed to do but uh that is what i would describe him as what you see is what you get uh i mean he's just a he's a grinder he's a worker he doesn't he doesn't enjoy i mean he enjoys obviously being a great athlete but he doesn't get any he gets a lot more joy out of going out and winning a ball game than he does as being in the spotlight like he is right now. He could care less about the magazine covers and uh, being the, you know, the the, cap, the Cowboys starting QB is awesome, but at the end of the day, he just wants to win games. And that's how he was at State. I mean, that's that's just who he is. He doesn't care about the, the stardom and the fame. I mean, you can see that just in his swagger, how he, how he attacks games and how he doesn't care about all these uh, media deals. And, you know, I'm sure he could be making – millions of dollars off endorsements and he's not worried about it during the season because he wants to win games. Now after the season he better take advantage of it. I mean, be smart, you know what I'm saying? But uh he's uh he's just a he's a guy you want your kid to be like, seriously. Uh if I could uh 
have, if I'm lucky enough to have a boy one day, unlike my brother who's had two girls and uh, he's, he hasn't had any luck yet with that. But uh, if I have a boy one day, hopefully he'll be similar to his uh, characteristics because he's just uh, what you see is what you get. And I mean, he's not on the, he's not when he's in the outside, he's going to act different. He's just the same guy all the time. And that's what you love about guys like that. He's what make the, makes the game great and makes people want to watch the game. So. I know. Look, I know this. There was a lot of, and you. I know you probably only hear the extremes on both sides, but there were a uh, lot of people from Ole Miss pulling for Dak that loved Dak. Yeah. You know, yeah. just because he's a leader, you can tell that he's a leader. So. Oh yeah, natural. I mean, natural leaders are hard to come by, and at that position, huge. Uh, I mean, I knew he would have success. Uh, to say I knew he'd have it this early, I'd be lying to you. Uh, I didn't think he would get the opportunity to have this success this early. And uh, like I tell people, you can say it's Tony Romo, Tony Romo that gave him the opportunity. But if, you know, the other the, he was the third string guy. If the other guy wouldn't have broke his collarbone or whatever, he broke arm, whatever it was. I mean, we might. It's kind of like my deal. I might not be where I am now. Not I wouldn't have been all American. I wouldn't ever. You know, I might not have ever started or been who I was without an injury. So you count your blessings every day, and you make sure you take advantage of your opportunities. Uh, I mean, it's very similar to duck hunting. You see some uh, mallards committed to the hole without you calling don't get on the, don't start calling just because you won't look good just let it happen you know so, uh, <laughs> that's what i mean for real, i mean you just don't know i mean without certain situations you never know what could happen so he's taking advantage of it and uh he's done everything right and he hasn't looked back i mean you have all that pressure on you from a guy like tony romo everybody's asking you questions and the way he's handled it and the way he's handled being a starter it's just uh it's just kind of it shows you who he is. I mean, he's been that way since he was a freshman. I mean, it's just that's Dak. Dak's Dak. Was it thing about one thing about him in the uh, in the locker room? Was it just something? Because we're looking at here's what I call the season we're dealing with now. I've called it life after Dak, where <laughs> I think Fitzgerald has got it and. Everything, everything like A and M, everything was clicking. And then last weekend, I don't know if they just—I mean, they just got to a slow start or what. But what was it about Dak that once it got in the huddle, everybody just, everybody just clicked and it it went rolling. Like I've never—I mean, I've been a Mississippi State my fan my whole life. I'm 36 years old. I have never in my whole life felt that confident like that year when when y'all hit that field. I was like. They're about to beat their ass. I mean, it was yeah. every even the LSU game. That was before really busted out. Even going yeah. into that game, I was like, I just think it's going to start tonight. And I told a bunch of people one night at a get together that if we ran through LSU, A and M, and Auburn, get ready. And everybody laughed at me. And I was like, okay, we're about to see. And I mean, I don't. It, the, the confidence and the swagger coming off y'all from that field, I mean, just watching it on TV was, I mean, it was, like I said, I've never been that more confident. This year I knew it was going to be a step back, especially losing losing Dak, losing some offensive linemen. But um, I didn't, I knew it would be a drop-off, but I didn't know it would be that much of a drop-off. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, uh, like what you're saying, I mean, I don't know if, I can describe it this way. If you've ever been around somebody, maybe your grandfather or, you know, somebody you really looked up to, you're just drawn to that person. You always found yourself just kind of 
eat up listening to stories to them without even knowing what you're doing type of deal. That was, yeah. uh, I described him, I, that's kind of like my grandfather was. I just always get caught up listening to him without even knowing it, but just because I was drawn to him, he's that type of person. But uh, both my grandfathers are like that. But uh, Dak's that type of guy. Uh, I mean, you just, whatever you're doing, if you had a bad play and you, he, he can't, he just looked at you, if he just looked at you, you were like, okay, it, it doesn't matter. We'll get the next play. Let me grind. Let me do this for Dak. Let me do this for the yeah. Bulldogs, whatever. Uh, he was just that guy. I mean, he, when he stepped, I mean, we didn't huddle, uh, but when he stepped, when he looked at us or called a play or, or if we needed, you know, if we were on the bench after a three and out, he would come by and he would just, you know, stick his fist out and just, that was it. That's his big thing. He'd just, pack, you know, dap you up, dap you up. I mean, just him doing that, that's just like, man, let's go. I mean, nothing nothing flusters the guy. I mean, we could be down. We could have been that year. We had the, that much swagger on our team about how good we were, about our O-line, how good we were. Uh, I can relate to them more because I, that's who, who I was. But, I mean, we knew when we went to a game, we watched them, and we were like, these two these two tackles right here projected to be, you know, top, top three round picks in the NFL. We're gonna, and we just look at each other and start laughing and say, we're about to embarrass them. You know, we're going to make their, their draft stock go down. That's just how we, that's how we looked at games that year, and uh, <clears throat> I think that's kind of the missing link with the team right now. They don't have guys out there with that kind of swagger right now that that uh, they can just go out there and dominate a game at, at a certain position. But it's certainly showing that they have the potential with all the young guys they have that they could be really good in, in the coming years. But but that that's just how Dak was. Uh, I mean, if he told you to do something, you did it. If he told you to jump, you you would say. You know, how high, I mean, just stuff like that. I mean, yeah. he was he commanded he commanded the team, and it showed in two, in 2014. Yeah, I mean, that was like the other night. Des Bryant was throwing a little temper tantrum, and Dak reached out and grabbed him by the jersey and pulled him to him, and said some stuff to him. I was like, okay, if he's if he's getting on to to Des, I mean, that shows. Honestly, Dak could not have ended up in a better situation going to a team that had a solid offensive line, solid running back, solid wide receivers, you know Romo's going to get hurt. I didn't know he was going to get hurt week three of preseason, but I figured it would be early in the season and that would get his chance. And then the more the kid from more, from Boise pretty much mm-hmm. breaks his ankle or his leg in a preseason game, that bumps up, and then all of a sudden Romo gets hurt, freak accident, and next thing you know, they're eight and one, and and Romo's giving his speech the other day. I mean, there's no way that they could have brought Romo back and killed that momentum because, and honestly, I don't think Romo would have wanted that label as taking that team over. Is would that team run smoother? Probably, but here's the deal: Romo's going to try to throw the Dez more deeper, and he's going to throw more interceptions. Dak's thrown what two picks in nine games. Yeah. Romo yeah. throws two picks a game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, there's no way they, you can mess with that momentum. I mean, let it ride out. If it, if if they make it, great. If they don't, then I mean, you can't you can't you can't, you can't put any, either one of them in that situation. Yeah, it's one of those deals I described. When you stop the train, it takes a while to get that sucker back rolling, and you can't you can't mess something up like that because you don't know when you don't know if you could have that special. You know, things are just special sometimes. They happen. They just happen because they're happening. There's no rhyme or reason behind it, and you can't mess things up like that. So, definitely true. <clears throat> well, guys, 
I have enjoyed the football talk, but we'll get in trouble if we don't say anything <laughs> about ducks real quick. Now, now Ben, when you came on on um, online with us, that you you told us that you were helping with the Delta Waterfowl Banquet down in Jackson tonight. Tell us a little bit right. about what's going on there, the Delta Waterfowl Banquet down there. <clears throat> well, this is my. I've always been a Delta Waterfowl. Uh, you know, my tag on my truck, Delta Waterfowl. I'm a member. All this, but I've never had the time being in college. Right now, I would be in practice, you know, in class or whatever it was. So I was never able to be hands-on with it. And this year, you know, I joined the committee. They're trying to get some younger guys in there to help things out. And uh, me and a couple buddies joined up. Uh, Lee uh, Lee kind of brought us in. He's the head guy over there, and he wanted us to help. And uh, it's it's been good. I, I'm enjoying it. I like to have any time I can help with something with duck hunting, which I'm very passionate about. Uh, I always enjoy it. So, yeah, it's going to be tonight in Jackson at the South uh, in Jackson. It's going to be a, a big event. We're expecting it to be one of the bigger ones in the recent years. I know, like uh, we were talking about before we got on the show, used to be 500 heads in that, in a, at a Delta Waterfowl Banquet, and we're trying to get back to that. We're trying to get it back to where uh, we're, you know, get it big, make it one of the biggest ones. So we're expecting over... 200, 225 people tonight, and uh, the more the merrier. You know, we got great prizes, great food, you know, great beer, great whiskey, uh, all that kind of sits well with a hunter. I know if I ever hear great food, great whiskey, I'm uh, I'm gonna come running. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we're looking so forward the, to it, and uh, it's gonna be a big what event. Time does it, and, uh, what time does that? it start, and where is it? One more time, because this podcast is gonna go up pretty quickly. Yeah. Doors open at 5.30, so if you get there at 5.30 and you buy your bottomless cup, that's when you get a good time starts rolling. But uh, the banquet itself starts at 7. So uh, you can be there at 5.30, you can be there at 7, you can be there at 7.30 and miss all you know, miss all the fun stuff to begin with. But whatever, you know, whatever gets you there, we want you there. But uh, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a good event. We've got a lot of good good prizes from Banded, Tangle Free. Uh, uh, what else we got? I mean, we're just uh, bison coolers. I mean, all kind of cool stuff. Uh, a lot of guns, brownings, and things like that. So it's going to be a big event with a lot of quality, quality things you could definitely win. Yeah, Delta Waterfowl is such an awesome organization. That, I mean, all of the the nonprofit organizations, Delta Waterfowl Ducks Unlimited, all of them that are working for the ducks. Of course, we support them on this podcast. Okay, so this is a waterfowling podcast. Let's talk a little bit now about duck hunting and being. A, so you grew up um, down in the in the Delta area. Where is your favorite place? What's your favorite kind of duck hunting out there? Uh, I would I would say my favorite kind is uh, you know some backwater off the river and uh, things like that. But uh, I mean I really enjoy timber hunting. When I'm I mean I'm obviously not in Mississippi. We don't have that vast majority of timber hunting like we do in Arkansas. But here in Mississippi, it'd definitely be backwater river hunting uh about as about as close as you can get to uh hunting timber in arkansas i guess that would be my favorite thing to do in mississippi for sure have you hunted on the river a lot uh i haven't hunted on it a lot uh just a handful of times and uh i don't get the opportunity many times just because uh we have so many places around here to hunt but when i do when the weather's right, when it's cold enough and the water, you know, gets out enough, I definitely take advantage of it and try to hop in with a with a buddy or two and go over that way and get on it as much as I can. I saw a picture online of of, of a place that you hunted, Ben. 
uh, one of Jay Paul's clients. He hunted with one of your clients before Jay Paul. Oh, really? Burtons. Which one? The oh, Burtons really? in really? Belzona. Yeah. Yeah. Sir. I've hunted that very spot, brother. Yeah, good spot up there. The Burtons, uh, they got a sweet spot over there. Uh, really good hunting. Uh, great guys, too. Yes, they are. They, they really are. Okay. Good guys. Well, since you've been out there on the West Coast, have you hunted in California yet? I have not. Uh, I've kind of had a weird uh, go uh, go at my professional career. I've had so many uh, knee injuries and knee surgeries going after my first season and that uh, I hadn't had, had time to really do any West Coast hunting, Northern California hunting, but uh, it's definitely something on my bucket list. But I uh, just haven't gotten an opportunity, hadn't met the right person yet. And uh, my knees have just, with my knee surgery and stuff, haven't been able to do it. So it's one of those deals that uh, it'll eventually be done, but it just hadn't been done yet. Well, when you get ready, uh, we had a, a excellent duck guide, a guy named Scott Feist, Feisty Fish Guide Service, up around Yuba City, Sacramento River Valley. You let me know, brother. Mm-hmm. I've got the hookup for the right guide for you. I promise you that. That'd be great. I'd really appreciate that. Now, Ben, who who actually got you into duck hunting? Uh, as a buddy of mine, uh, I was I, I hate to say it, it was it was either sixth grade or seventh grade. I can't remember. I was a young kid, and a buddy of mine, family is uh, big farmers around here. On you know a couple probably ten twelve thousand acres, and uh, he you know I'd always taken him deer hunting because we always had the all the good deer hunting land on the on the Yazoo River and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, he was like, man, uh, it was during, it was right after Thanksgiving, the opener, when I was uh, either sixth or seventh grade. He took me, and I shot uh, my first, my first mallard on that hunt. And I'd always been a big bird hunter, quail, uh, dove, you know, trap shooting. I could always handle a shotgun pretty well, big rabbit hunter, things like that. Uh, and it just clicked, and I was instantly pretty good at it. I, I shot pretty well. I, I was just, it kind of clicked, and it just, I fell in love with it. Uh, how social was how. I was just there hanging out almost. It felt like it almost didn't feel like you were in a, in a pressured field area. You were just kind of hanging out, enjoying the time, telling stories. And uh, even at that young age, it was something that clicked as like a social deal where you're, you're, you're enjoying shooting a uh, wild game and, you know, bringing it back, cleaning it, eating it, stuff like that. But at the same time, you're enjoying being with your friends and their family and talking and enjoying the lulls of duck hunting where you can talk and, you know, kick the kick the bucket around and you know have some good times but that's what got me going and uh i've been hard at it and uh and you know just i dove right into it got into it as much as i could and it's uh it stuck with me until you know now i'm 24 years old and i still do it as much as i can so well you know earlier you said something and and then you've actually said two things first earlier you mentioned that it's addictive and man we hear that a lot De- Duck hunting is like a powerful drug for a lot of people. It definitely is addicting. But I think part of the reason, and I'd like you guys' comments, thoughts on this, I think one of the biggest reasons that duck hunting is, is so addictive is because like deer hunting, there's the thrill when you have the ducks come in, you know, just like there is when a big deer pops out at a distance and you wonder if you're going to get him to come by your stand or not. But also, I really believe that that social aspect that, you just mentioned has a great deal to do with why guys get so into it because you can have the excitement of, of, of deer hunting, but then you can have the camaraderie that you can't have while you're out there sitting quietly in a tree waiting on a deer. What do y'all think? Right. 
I agree. Uh, I feel yeah, like it's kind of uh, it kind of it goes from you're at duck camp or you're at your camp deer slash duck camp, and it kind of carries from that poker night, that beer drinking night, whiskey drinking night. It kind of carries to the blind the next morning. It's almost like it's a continuous uh, version of duck camp, even though you're out hunting wild game. You know, I feel like it kind of just flows together. Amen. I'll tell you this: the day that they invent a box stand that you can put five or six of your best friends in. And you can all cut up a joke and laugh together. That's when duck deer hunting may, you know, get close to duck hunting. Soundproof box, yeah. Yeah. The, I'd love to have a soundproof box to put Rocky in sometimes. <laughs> mm. Uh oh. No oh, I'm sorry, Rocky. <laughs> Man, I, I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm good. I said I would play nice today, having two Ole Miss guys, two Mississippi State guys on the podcast, and so uh, I've been easy on Jeff and Ben. Rocky, that one just slipped and got away from me, and I turned on you. <laughs> oh Lord, uh-uh. that's okay. I'll be back. I guarantee you, you'll pay me back in spades, no doubt about it. Well, seriously, Ben, we really have enjoyed having you today, and, and man, but we're going long. And You know, at the top of the podcast, Jeff had brought up the speckle belly goose season being open and him guiding over in Arkansas and made the perfect segue to talk about pressure. In our last podcast, we said we were going to visit that, but again, Rocky, we, we've torn out on some tangents along the way, and so we're probably going to have to hold off and have a little more in-depth discussion about pressure on our next go-round. And I intentionally yeah. haven't said a whole lot if, today because if, I wanted to. If everybody can see me right now, I'm tapping my arm like I've got a wristwatch on. You remember that old sign? <laughs> I know, yeah. I know. So, so we're going to get on. I'm going to get on out of here, and we're going to. Man, I hate to do it to our listeners, but we're going to save pressure for the next go-round. But I do want to uh, use this as a little teaser there. You know, in the last podcast, Rocky, you brought up the fact that there are over 3 million ducks along the coast of Louisiana, or at least there were. And then their season opened Saturday, and numbers are going way down now. Um, I I received some information this morning, some reports that um, a lot of birds are leaving that area and actually going back north. And you know, that's a result of, of pressure there. And a lot of people don't realize that when birds go south, they don't always stay there. So next go round, we're going to talk a little bit about that. The pressure also on speckle belly geese, what it does for the ducks, as Jeff alluded to um, at the beginning. And I guess we'll just have to save that topic for next time. Uh, once again, or we'll, back with or we'll or or we'll have to invent a drinking game with every time you say pressure, you drink, drink. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do this podcast on Saturday night then, and I'm all in. <laughs> oh man, been back with buddy. It's been our pleasure to have you on here today, Jeff Estes. Always enjoy tremendously having you guest host with uh, Rocky and I. Um, and Rocky, we don't have time for final thoughts. I'm seeing you tap that watch. So for everybody out there that's been listening today, I truly hope that you've enjoyed this edition of the On The X Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. <laughs> <laughs>